Good morning, everybody, and welcome. You might be wondering, where's Lyle and Mon this morning? Where are we this morning? Uh, well, I'm, I might be at a pool somewhere. Yeah, we're not here, though. <laughs> we are anywhere but here. Why are we not here today? We are... Ex- I mean, we, we, we kind of sound like we're here right now. I know. It, it's a bit tricky, isn't it? We're coming through your radio, but we're not really there. No, we're not here. No. It's, just, it's the ghost of Lyle and Mon this morning. <laughs> Why aren't we live on air right now? Because we have come to the end of the live show. Sorry, listeners. Who knows what the future holds, but for now, we've put together some of our best programming, so stay tuned because you get to hear the best of the best of The Breakfast Show. Coming up in today's show, we're going to revisit some of our regular segments from back in the day, Neil Thompson, Alicia Christie and others. Oh, old school. And we look forward to talking to you some more. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown?
morning, Lyle. How are you today? I am amazing today. You're always amazing, Lyle. Of course I'm amazing. What's so amazing to, about I today? To, I get to talk to all of our listeners. Wow. We love you guys. Is that what you're grateful for today? Uh, no. What are you grateful for today? That sounds like I'm ungrateful, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not grateful at all about that one. <laughs> I'm grateful that it is July because July means that the days are getting longer, but I've already had that one. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful this is July because it's tax time. I get to put my tax return in and hopefully I get some money back. Ooh, and you're going to buy a boat? I'm going to buy a car. Oh, you're going to buy a car? I need a car. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, We're we taking your car donations. Yes, car donations <laughs> to Faith FM right now. Just drop them off outside the studio <laughs> with the keys of the ignition. It will be great. <laughs> However, this all happen- actually happened. Yes, yes, indeed. We are recording this on Wednesday the 11th, but you might be listening to this, I don't know, Thursday the 12th, Friday the 13th, who knows when you're listening to this. Okay, so coming up on today's show, we have an amazing interview with uh, Wayne Ulrich coming into the studio. Yeah, it was really adventures fun. Adventures from some amazing countries that he's been to. And then he sticks around for the rest of the show, which is really great. We love it when our interviewees um, come in and then stick around. And uh, we also have some great good news stories. We have some uh, wonderful news about the, of course, the, the boys in the cave who have all been rescued now. Yes. Praise the Lord for that. I think all of the world was praying about that, so it's really great news to have them out of there. And uh, seeing as you're talking about that, we do know that this is very delayed broadcast because I think everybody's going to know, like, yeah. well, that's old news now. <laughs> but it's still good news. But it's still good news, absolutely. <laughs> We've got some great music coming up. We've got a great Bible study, question of the day, talking about the gift of tongues, etc. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for more great, great programming right now. Thank you. 
Coming up in, in all your mountain of positively yeah. different uh, news this morning. I love it when there's so much good news I can't decide. And hopefully I won't cry today on air. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, crazy. do you want to know my secret? I almost always cry, but I can usually pull it together before I go on air. <laughs> These stories why, are so why? sweet. They're, so, they're such good it's, stories. Why yeah, do you cry over good it's things? It's so I mean, touching. Like, and like, you cry over bad stuff, not good stuff. No, well, it's so touching. And I, I love, thing. you know, yesterday I told you how I love the theme of reunion. Anything that men, has men a Men cry over reunion. things when it's bad. Women cry over everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also I just, I love it when community comes together uh-huh. and, uh, and colludes to do something good. Yep. Yeah. For me, they just, I don't know. I always cry. Okay, so I've got to figure out a way, and you're going to have to help me. How do I how do I make Mon cry? <laughs> Why would you want to? You were so uncomfortable yesterday when I was crying. I was looking at your face, and you were like, "Panic stations, panic stations." She's crying. <laughs> that's that's the that's the male standard reaction that comes straight out of the out of the book. This is how you react when a woman 
and cry. Panic. <laughs> panic. Just panic. Don't do anything else. Just panic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to like this morning story, Lyle. As a man, as a manly man, you're going to love this one. Okay. Okay. So, you know how in India, um, in, you know how every country deals with racism? And in India, it's particularly bad. They have... Um, uh, these castes and they have the, like they have different levels of these castes and they have the bottoms at the bottom they call it the, un- the untouchables oh okay the different yeah. levels of society I'm thinking yes. of castes like plaster castes no I know <laughs> castes with an ink on the end yeah 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 and they have you know and they have the untouchables and you know and there's horrific stories that have come out of this this yep. kind of hatred you know um, I remember I watched a documentary recently um a travel documentary, and they went through India and they met a family whose son, um, he'd gotten a job because it's it, apparently the government, the Indian government's changed it, but you know, changing the actual yeah, minds yeah. of people is something else. Yeah. And, uh, and he'd gotten managed to get a job in a milk factory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the local community found out that this, this untouchable guy was working in a milk factory and they figured if he's touching our milk or in any way involved in the preparation of milk, he's contaminating our milk and our milk won't be good to drink because, you know, he's, the bottom rung mm-hmm. of our society. Mm-hmm. So they doused him in petrol and burnt him alive. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of hatred that goes on. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's not just, you know, jobs. It's also just basic human needs. So there's a story about a man um, uh, whose village, uh, he, it was so sad. His wife was turned away um, from trying to drink from a well. So she just wanted a drink of water. She just wanted to get some water. And they told her no because she was considered, you know, the bottom rung of, of their societal caste system. And, uh, and her husband was just, just so outraged by this that they couldn't even get water mm-hmm. because of the color of their skin. Um, that or he, their, their position in society. Or their position in society. Yeah. Um, that he got his own tools and, uh, and he'd done what is considered impossible and, uh, and started, um, putting his tools to work for six hours a day, digging a new well all by himself next mm. to their village. And this is usually apparently a task that typically requires a team of four or five men. And the villagers all came out and they were just ridiculing this man and mocking his mission, um, knowing that you know such a feat had never actually been accomplished before. And then there had actually been other attempts to source, uh, to locate um, new sources of water in the area that had already failed. So oh, okay. he was on like Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. number seven or whatever it up to. After 40 days, and only 40 days, right? Which is, because that's pretty good for one man digging a well. That's when, a lot of digging. When no water has been located before, this husband struck gold and created a well. Wow. With water, with fresh water. And so uh, his newly created well is going to provide water um, not only just for his wife, but for, for all the other um, insulted working class villages. In this area, they're known as Dalits uh, in the Washim district of India. So the equivalent of equivalent of untouchables. Yeah, yeah, basically. So he said he didn't want to name the well owner for he doesn't want bad blood in the village because you know he got interviewed. He's become quite famous now, mm-hmm. um, you know. But he said you know he, we were insulted because we were poor and we're Dalits and uh, and we came home that day and, and cried and cried. And uh, he said he never wanted to beg for water from anyone, mm-hmm. especially because the reason for the begging would have been. That he's what born like in yeah. a different like it's just because he was born. Yeah, because he was born, and uh, and so he just bought some tools, and within an hour of making this resolve, he'd started digging this well. 
So I'm going to put up some pictures of this well. Yeah, and, that's, um, a, that's a fantastic yeah. story. Yeah. And he, you can see, I'll show you the picture. Look at him. He's like down deep in this well. Oh, you've got to be Isn't kidding. That is a massive hole in the ground and he's carved it through rock. He's carved it through rock. You can see him standing down there. It's almost like it's a cave. He's underground or something. It's an amazing well. I'll show our producers there. He's done a real good job. Because I, I, when you say well, I think, oh, maybe like a little hole that goes down. Like yeah, 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 down. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like, it's like a, like a huge cave thing that he's gone and dug. So good on him. Well, this is the thing. You have to have a hole big enough to swing a pick. Yeah. To be able to mm-hmm. cut through rock like mm-hmm. that. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a bit ripped. And you can sort of tell why he's been swinging that pick. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure his wife loves the water and his new muscles. <laughs> <laughs> Lyle, you have taught many a class, right? Yes. What? How do you feel about the kid who always sticks his hand up in class and asks questions? They are the best. You like them? Because you know that you're actually connecting with them. The one that sits there and never says anything is like, well... Does he understand what I'm saying? Does he, he not understand here? what I'm saying? Is he here? <laughs> what is going on? Um, whereas the one who's asking questions is the one who's engaged. Well, let me tell you about an underdog. I love a good underdog story. I think because I'm Australian. This is one kid. And unfortunately, like teachers usually do like the kid that asks the questions, but they do seem to get ridiculed from their classmates, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So and, 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 and they always feel insecure about it, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm the one who's almost got my hand up, yeah. but, you know. Um, and uh, sitting in class and thinking about asking a question, you almost like start to break a sweat, like, should I put a hand up? Will I sound stupid? What am I going to say? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's funny how nerve-wracking the it only, is. The only stupid question is the one you don't ask. That's right. And I want to encourage people today to ask more questions and be more inquisitive because this kid, Richard Jenkins, um, he was always raising his hand in class, so much so that they gave him the nickname Harvard um, to make him feel bad for participating. But he had a goal. He was on a mission. So this was an inner inner city kid and uh, his family had actually lost their home to foreclosure when he was in year six. And uh, and then him and his two brothers spent the next two years moving in and out of homeless shelters and, and hotels. And uh, they were really struggling to find stability. And uh, and he really began to realize that good education is going to get him, you know, mm-hmm, through this. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, his father then had a heart attack and passed away two years later. So they were um, and he ended up getting hospitalized himself because of just so much stress. And uh, But he, even though he was sick and in hospital, he just wanted to get his assignments done. He was like, you know, um, emailing his teacher questions even though he couldn't be in class. And so further compounded this, uh, this mocking of this teasing being called Harvard. Anyway, he graduated and started applying for colleges. Guess where he got in? Where? Harvard. <laughs> so come. So Harvard got into Harvard. Harvard got into Harvard, and he's Fantastic. moving up. So yeah, he's going to be graduating class twenty twenty two, and uh, we congratulate. Well, we wish him all the best. Indeed, like he's going to be just laughing on the other side of all that teasing now. So yeah, good on him. So keep asking questions, guys, and uh, and never be afraid to to stick your hand up. This is Barlow Girl with you. Lead me.
to Love Matters with Neil Thompson. And today we're just taking a bit of a wander through the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is just what it says. It's a book about wisdom and, and the sayings of the wise and a, and a whole list of proverbial sayings. And some of these are absolutely brilliant for when it comes to how to do relationships. They're just filled with so much so much wisdom. So here we're looking at Proverbs 16, and in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, here is something which I think if we were to apply this to our relationships, our relationships would take a really good boost forward. So what we're looking at is Proverbs 16 verse 18 and it says this, it says, Pride goes before distraction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. What this is talking about, it's like pride goes before a fall. Now we've had that as a proverbial saying for like forever. Well, it actually comes from the Bible. It comes from Proverbs 16, verse 18. And what it's actually saying is that someone who is puffed up with pride, someone who is puffed up with their own self-importance and the, a sense of arrogance and around who they are, is, is actually a person who's about to head for a fall. And the, let, let me illustrate that in, in an example. It's like in interpersonal relationships, it's so easy for one person to think that they're right and everyone else is wrong, that, that they don't have any problems, but others around them do. And when that happens, actually at the heart of that is pride that, that they think that, that they're right. And, it starts to affect the way they see the world. They start to see the world as they're right and others are wrong, that they're better and others are worse, that, that people owe them, and, and they start to treat people around them as objects. And you can imagine that if someone starts to do that too often in life, that the end result of that, especially around those who they're close with, will be that a, a growing distance, a growing separation, a growing divide. The, the opposite of that is to actually be a humble person, someone who is actually freely willing to admit that, hey, I'm not perfect, I have mistakes, I make mistakes, to freely admit that, yeah, I get it wrong sometimes. Like I think, you know, um, of a time where I just really blew it with, with my kids. And um, my son said to me, he said, Dad, you know, what are you doing? Is the TV more important than, than having a conversation with me right now? And I was really angry because I just wanted to sit down, relax. I'd had a hard day and I wanted to do this. And he wanted to have this conversation. And I was just like, man. And it wasn't pretty because I remember what I did in that moment. I kind of exploded a little bit. And it was my pride getting in the road. It was just my anger spilling over. And I had to actually eat a little humble pie. I actually went into him and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I blew this. I got it wrong. And I humbled myself. And I humbled myself to my son. And in doing so, you might think, you know, that, wow, I just, um, I can imagine some guys thinking, wow, well, at that point, you just lost it. And not because you got angry, but because you then apologized to your son. I mean, you should never do that. Well, I actually disagree. I actually think I went up in the estimation of my son. And instead of losing his respect, I actually gained way more. Because here's the thing, better to be a, of a humble spirit than to divide the spoil with the proud. 
I tell you what, when you divide spoil with pride, you know, what, what's actually going on there? Well, it's actually that you're ripping others off. You're ripping their reputation. You're ripping their character. You're stripping them down. You're pushing them down. You're making yourself puffed up at their expense. And what the Bible is saying, it's better to be humble. In fact, if you go th- then through to Matthew and the Beatitudes, where um, right there, Jesus actually says this. He says, well, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who... Uh, poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God it's like humility is a key ingredient to God's kingdom and it should be no surprise therefore that it's actually a key ingredient in rich relationships in the home in the family with your lover it actually just is so much better than being puffed up with pride where with an arrogant and haughty spirit there's that interesting word from the Bible where you actually see others as less than yourself and you're tempted to use them as an object in your own personal happiness. Well, that's not the way to success. That's not the pathway to happiness and peace and to love and contentment. The pathway to to love and contentment is to actually be meek, is to actually be humble, is to actually have the character of Christ in your life. So today, whatever you're doing, just do a little character assessment, if you like, and just say, hey, is pride getting the handle on me? Is, Is pride stopping me from building a bridge back to my partner? Is pride stopping me from building a bridge to my my children. If it is, maybe it's time for you and the Lord to square it away and to actually embrace the pathway of being lowly and, and hard and, and humble. Well, you're in Love Matters with Neil Thompson. Stick around on Faith FM. We've got much more coming up right after this. You, but you can't bear to hear me now. In a little while, I must move on, but I'll send my love to you, and you can't call my name.
Pastor Brendan from Harvey Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I'd like to personally invite you to worship God with us each Sabbath. We start off with Bible study groups at 9.30am, then hold our community worship service at 11am. We also organize groups that meet during the week to connect, eat, and study the Bible together. So if you're looking to be part of an encouraging Christian community, come and join us. For more information, you can call me on 0422-896-553. That's 0422-896-553.
So shall my walk be close with God, can answer in my fray. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the land. Welcome back, everybody. We have our special guest. He's joining us right here in the studio. Um, and Wayne, it's great to have you with us. We're going to go straight to uh, our guest interview because I'm just sort of... Wayne's come in. Wayne Ulrich has come in. Morning, and, um, Yeah, Wayne heads up uh, Asian Aid. Uh, We've actually had him on air several times on the phone, so it's actually good to see him finally in person <laughs> in studio. But he's got a laptop here full of pictures, and I just want to start into this story because it looks like the most remarkable story. And uh, you were just showing me some some pictures of of your world travels, Wayne. How many countries have you been to? I want to see what um, you've beaten. My, on. Kid, my kids have been counting, and we got to sixty one already. Oh, <laughs> blown me out of the water. What was your last count, Mon? Thirty seven. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I can double that. Yeah, yeah there you go. Come on. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And this, of course, has been working um, you know, with children, with, um, with charitable organisations. Yes. Um, but there was something in your pictures there that sort of caught my attention as, as they were flicking past, and that was um, something to do with the reason why you left Australia in the first place. You got into a little bit of trouble somewhere along the line, didn't you? Yeah, well, I was, I was working with Sanitarium Health Food, so I was the mechanic down there, and I uh-huh. had a fast car and kind of had a bit of dealing with the police a lot of them, <laughs> lot of them knew me down there and then so, uh, so was your car confiscated and crushed i guess they didn't do that back in the day did oh they? it's a it's it's a it's a long story but basically you know yeah i got dragged away and kind of put in a place and oh had, had, oh, had, really? time, had time to think about where i was okay so back in the day back in the day back in the yeah. day you actually had to do a fair bit of bad stuff to um i think i paid the police salaries actually <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, these days they have pretty tough anti-hooning laws, but they weren't, so, weren't as tough back then. So you were oh, quite the hoon. My, my LJ Tirana, I tell you, was fastest on the block. Did you have? Did you have the uh, the the V eight one? No I triples. The triples. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Straight yeah. six. The red Tirana, eh? Oh yeah. Yours was actually red too, wasn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. We're going to picture right <laughs> here. There's a reason why it was called the red Tirana. It's because it used to be filled with. Teenagers' blood on too many occasions. <laughs> oh, <dear. Yeah. laughs> kind of had that reputation. They were, they were lethally quick. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so I'm taking it you did not have a license, and so the opportunity to be able to drive would have only existed overseas. No, I had a license. Oh, okay, I had a license. okay, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Straight, I got my license at those days. You could get. No, it but I'm saying, did you? 16. We would have lost it. I yeah yeah. So anyway, you end up yeah. overseas, <laughs> and you've been overseas in in all of these different countries. 
and in a lot of conflict um, areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that actually drew, drew you to this kind of work? Was it the sense of adventure or the sense of mission or a combination of both? I was adventure. I was okay. young, I was young, adrenaline. I was yep. a you know, humanitarian cowboy. Okay, a humanitarian <laughs> cowboy. Yeah. I like that. You know, maybe we need more humanitarian cowboys out there. Yeah, well, I was. I was single. I just wanted to see the world. And so, were you a bit of a uh, machine gun preacher? Well, I've handled a few guns in the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this is a uh, an adventurous life. What is the most adventurous country that you've been to, or the, I should say, the most dangerous country that you've been to? Um, well, I left home in 1985, mm-hmm. and you know. Places like Somalia, Liberia, Rwanda, the Congo, yep. probably African countries are you know been, been pretty hot. Yep. Um, Sarajevo, Yugoslavia was 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 a tight one as well. Okay, oh. so you're there during the war. Um, yes, yeah. Um, I've only been. I was taken hostage twice. Um, Whoa, that was pretty. That was pretty rough. So, um, what countries were 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 you taken hostage in? Um, Liberia and Rwanda. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, and Liberia was by some boy soldiers. Right. You know, these young kids taking you into rooms and trying to shoot shoot through the walls. But, you know, there was a there was a lot of negotiations to get out of that one. But yeah. uh, that was my my job was actually trying to negotiate access into these countries and set up field hospitals and feeding centres. Right. Look after um, displaced civilians. And when you be, get, get taken as a hostage, do they just see you as being a cash cow or uh, do they have other aims in mind? Oh, What's oh, This was before um, the cash cow issues. This was This was basically, you know, kids... Wanted to show that they were in control, and right. you know, if you said something they didn't like, then they wanted to kind of lock you away and make you worried. <laughs> and uh, um, how how long have you were you a hostage for? Oh, it was two weeks. Two weeks it wasn't long, but yeah, it was long enough. Yep, and um, <laughs> and that, that was just a negotiation system. Yeah, s- yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Charles Taylor was the the warlord in Liberia mm. during that time. Yep, and then Kagame. Uh, in Rwanda, yep. so they were, they were, yeah, interesting days. But that, those were the days where you could get away with a lot. Um, whereas now, with media and press, you know, hostages um, often, unfortunately, have you know they get killed along the way. But yeah, yeah, we're just very lucky. God was in charge. Yeah, yeah, lucky for you, lucky for oh, you. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, what organisations um, were you working with? Primarily, uh, Doctors Without Borders mm-hmm. and Save the Children. I worked for the Catholics for a while, yep. Catholic Relief Services, ADRA, yep. mm-hmm. um, and now I'm with um, Asian Aid. I'm the CEO here. Okay. Yep. 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 Fantastic. And uh, uh, what kind of you, – you're talking, you know, Doctors Without Borders. Do you have a medical background or um, you're more just no, like a humanitarian – I was a, a mechanic. I was a mechanic, okay, mechanic. sanitarium yeah. and then I, then I so went hence, to engineering. Hence, hence and your fast car. Civil engineering <laughs> and looking at water and, and – Designs of camps and field, okay. I'd say field hospitals, yep. set them up, and then when things were safe enough, we'd bring in the doctors and the nurses, and then they'd do the surgical operations, and we would basically keep things running. How did you get started with, you know, what, what, what organization did you start with? And, and let's say that there's a humanitarian cowboy out there right now who's like, yeah, I want to go to an adventurous <laughs> country and uh, help people. How do, you, how do you get started with something? How did you get started? Um, I did a stint with World Vision and then some time with ADRA. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Pacific. So you just go to World Vision and say, hey, I'm here, I'd love to pretty help. Pretty much, pretty yeah. much. Um, ADRA gave me some work in uh, Solomon Islands in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was great, mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to see kind of Africa, so then I got a job over in Africa and, yeah, one thing led to another and then I'm 
yeah, been thrown into the worst place. If you want to get a job in the humanitarian sector, go to the worst places because they're hard to find people for. Right. And so if you put your hand up, oh, they'll okay. throw you into yeah, those they, Okay, so if you really want to get into yeah. the, the... And then if the, you the do way a good job, in, you yeah. can't leave because they keep, keep keep you in those places. So, <laughs> you know, Catch-22. I was supposed to be in the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo um, right now, actually, but um, it's pretty hard yeah, to get a visa to get into that country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it didn't actually work out. If I'd had more time, I would have probably um, made it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Um, I was supposed to be in uh, Lumbambashi. Democratic Republic of the Congo, what's it like these days? Oh, I haven't been there for maybe 10 years. So Yeah, but it did used to have it's, I mean, it's rough. a lot it's of rough. child soldiers. I mean, I remember reading reports of 30,000 child soldiers. Oh, um, easy, easy. Yeah. Which old soldiers you know, are more Western Africa, you know, mm-hmm. Liberia, Sierra, um, Congo, um, all the way down to Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, mm-hmm. with these types of areas. Um how does this culture of child soldiers develop? Um, well, they're easy to manipulate. You know, if, you, if, if warlords come into a mm. village and they kill your parents and then they grab the kids and take them away and kind of force them to, to kill, mm. um, you can pretty much put them under control. And when they don't do what they're told to do, you, you knock them out, you kill them. And we're often told that, you know, when we're raising our own children so much, so, so forth, that um, children's brains are a little bit like wet clay. That we can, you know, we can mold and fashion the way they oh, think. Oh, you can, you can. So, I mean, I've I've been working with kids now. Was it? This is my thirty. This is thirty first year of working with kind children. Of working with children, mm-hmm. and the first fifteen was in war and conflict, and the last fifteen or so has been with more natural disasters and in countries where civil unrest is mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And every country, you know, working with kids, it's easy to kind of manipulate them or to bring them into a, a, a environment where. You can get them to do what you want, exploit mm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, so child exploitation is not just about sexual exploitation. It's about you know, forcing children or getting children to do things against their will. Mm. It's going mm. against the rights of a child. Um, and, and how many, how many children are being exploited across the world, world right now? Um, I think in total from the figures that just came out. And uh, I should say that Wayne's got a whole bunch of research. There's so much stats oh, yeah. on his computer right here that it's sort of hard to... It's uh, really, uh, say the children just released a report like three weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, a great report about the, um, about the lost childhood report. Okay. Yeah. And it has some really good stuff like one billion um, experienced sexual abuse, multiple types of violence um, at any one time, one in three girls globally. Um, experiences sexual violence. Mm-hmm. Um, Three point two million students are victims of bullying. Yeah, um, I mean these types of figures are coming up. Three hundred thousand children in fighting forces as we speak. Three hundred thousand. Twenty put yeah. Twenty people displaced every minute of every day around the world. So this conversation you know is ten minutes long. You've got already two hundred people displaced. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it's just it's just. The numbers are staggering, and and it I is particularly for us living in Australia. Mm. Oh, absolutely. absolutely! You know, we just get up, we go to work every day. It's a normal day. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. We plop in front of the TV in the evening, and and uh, you we know. would never think about being taken hostage by a bunch of child soldiers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never cross our mind at all. Or, or the fact that you know there are children that are just being you know raped, exploited, mm. turned into, you know, their brains effectively being turned into mush. Can, yeah. can a child recover from being a child soldier and being involved in heavy fighting and that kind of violence? They're scarred for life, but there, is, there are ways of, of, of getting them out of poverty. I don't know if you saw um, Australian Ninja Warrior last night. 
I did. There was actually a, um, a guy from Liberia who was a child soldier, and he's an Australian citizen now. And right. He got through the race. Yep. I mean, he was talking a bit about his story, and yeah, it really sinks home for me. Yeah, yeah. I would have done, particularly, you know, for the um, work that you've been involved in. And we've in. talked about slaves before. Yes, you know, 46,000 yeah. of mm-hmm. them at the moment. In Australia, they, they, they reckon there's about 4,300 um, slaves active at the mm-hmm. moment in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. These are individuals or uh, children younger than the age of 18 being forced to do things that they, you know, d- don't have choices to do. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yep. the figures are, are just are just staggering. Mm-hmm. So um, when you start looking at figures like this, um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you do about it? I mean, our conversation here is so short. It's like <laughs> so much to talk about. But yeah. um, You asked me okay, to come into my testimony, but we haven't got even there yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. Um, what, what, can we, what can an individual do? You know, right now, listening to this, listening to stats, and, and, and we can look at some more here in a moment if we get time. Um, where do you start in actually doing something to change our world or to make our world a better place? I mean, well, you're working for Asian you start, right you start in your family, and mm-hmm. then you start with your, then you go to the neighbour. Mm-hmm. If, and if you can go further, you go to the community, and you start helping people out. Mm. Um, it, with Asian Aid, you know, we have 4,600 children out there that we're looking after. ADRA have many more. Mm. Um, so giving to organisations that are trying to do something is, is one way of really So those of us who are living here in the lucky country... Um, I tell you, I mean, it, coming back to Australia and being able to drink from the tap, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> it's, it's a long time since I've been able to do that, and that, that's really, really good. You know what I mean? But my, but my children go to local school, and you know, my daughter comes home. You know, she's been bullied, you know, it, it, and it's really, really surprising that you're in such a lucky country, and then your kids go to school and come home crying because someone's tried to bully them out of the way or because they look different or because they said something that was strange, you know, that, that people make fun of them. And I think that is just as bad as, you know, some of the things I've seen overseas where children just get abused because they're kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, your children born overseas or born here? My daughter was born in Indonesia. My son was born in Thailand. Yep. Um, but they're both Aussies. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, so did they see much of the... Uh the, the, the when, I got, when I got married, I had to change. I couldn't. Right. I couldn't work in countries of war and conflict anymore. Sure, sure. So I shifted to natural disasters and, and civil unrest. Yep. Like in Philippines, you know, um, South Asia. Um, we're running out of time, are we? Oh, yeah. No, we, 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 <laughs> oh, I was just kind of hoping that maybe you could stay for after the news, and we could keep interviewing you just for a little bit longer. Maybe we do a re- recording. Okay, you know, fair enough. <laughs> I prefer live interviews because you know it's being said out there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's it's talking to BBC and CNN on a recorded message, you get really worried because they'd always cut out pieces of the conversation. Yeah, so I imagine because of um, a number of the countries that you've been into, you would have uh, been interviewed by the media on various oh, yeah. occasions. You Google, you'll find a few little snippets from like BBC on my belly kind of being shot at and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, my kids like to you know, look on the Google internet. Google Dad. And say, what, yeah, what's going on with that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we might get you to hang around for a little bit longer. Shattered like you've never been before The life you knew In a thousand pieces on the floor And words fall short in times like these But this world drives you to your knees You think you're never gonna get back To the you they used to be Tell your heart to beat 
Oh. 